G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Through this coming hour, we're going to be talking about Bible heroes taking over your smartphone. An opportunity today to talk about the uh, all sorts of things that are happening with a new app and our special guest, the creative mind behind the app, which features 3D Bible characters and an original soundtrack recorded by the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra. Well, since its release earlier this year, it now ranks in the top 10 trivia games in almost 50 different countries. The developers say the app called Heroes 2 offers a counter-cultural take on what it means to be a hero. It is not about having superpowers or a perfect life like we'll often see in the movies, more about character. Moses and Esther could not fly or outrun a speeding bullet, but in placing their trust in God, they became vessels through which the Almighty made the impossible seem routine. Our special guest through this coming hour is Sam Neves. He is the creative behind the project and he believes that gaming is the next evangelical frontier to conquer. Sam is joining us on the line from the US. Hello, Sam. Welcome along to 2020. Yeah, Hi, Neil. Thank you so much for the invitation. What a pleasure to be with you. Sam, you say God is the ultimate. You say he makes the impossible seem routine and... Superman looks duller than a 50-year-old butter knife. Uh, there's a big comparison here, and you've got a great contrast. Give us your insights into God the Ultimate. Well, it's a competing set of philosophies that we are exposed to constantly on social media and the web and everywhere else. And the Bible starts by saying that uh, God created the world. God has no interest in in proving to you his existence, uh, but he is very interested in showing you that there is a much better way to live, much better future. So all of the hero stories that we hear from Marvel or DC Comics and so on, they, they all share a similar storyline with the story of Jesus and with the stories that we see in the Bible. So why not create a project that focuses on real heroes uh, as presented by Scripture. So, Sam, some people will say, well, I'm used to those Bible stories in a book that I open or in an app that I'm opening and, say, reading the Bible or getting some daily devotions. But four in ten people, you're saying, and I think that's a United States uh, perspective, uh, statistic there, playing video games. So you're seeing the potential in all of this. So I wonder if you can take us back into perhaps, uh, you know, what leads you into this? Were you a gaming person yourself and you decided, hey, I need to put my faith into action and do something here? Give us your own story here, Sam. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Um, there are 3.4 billion gamers in the world. So there are more gamers than Christians. And this is a phenomenon that started uh, video gaming 
in perhaps the 70s, 80s, 90s with computers and other consoles that started coming out. And it's captured the imagination of everyone. So if you like playing, playing Tetris on your mobile phone before you go to sleep, or you play word games, or indeed you play with the Xbox and PlayStation and all the latest games, uh, you're a gamer. And we like exercising our brains in different ways, and gaming is here to stay. Uh, I played too many video games in my teenage years, probably to excess, and it's something that, I've, that I thought we as um, uh, Christians should, should not steer away from. Yes, there are certain games we should steer away from, uh, but there are, there are many good things that come from this. And there's nothing new. You know, whenever a new technology comes through, uh, Christians use it to inspire people with the best story ever told. And so it's no surprise that, a, you know, a new, a new technology has been invented. And it's about time that Christians make use of it to tell this story in an inspiring way. We've been doing it since papyrus was in place. And we will continue to do it with every technology that comes until Jesus returns. So we adapt to the technology and we start to just bring out the best in the technology. Yes, there's a lot of things that are bad in the online experience, but it's our responsibility here, I guess, to turn that online experience into something that can be a discipling experience. And so with your Heroes 2 Bible trivia game, uh, you're saying you want to challenge people like never before. So how challenging is this, Sam? Well, to some people, it's just another trivia game. Uh, but we had a lot of fun creating the heroes in this uh, Marvel Universe heroic style uh, from the Bible heroes. So it's not a, an accurate description of what they look like. No one knows exactly what they look like, but their features are emphasized. So you have Joseph's uh, courage exemplified through the artwork. Uh, you have Esther's resilience and beauty exemplified through the artwork. And, this, uh, and, and it means that they can ask you questions about their lives in first person. So Joseph asks, you know, what did I do? What did I struggle with my brothers? And one of the answers is forgiveness. Uh, but the game itself is a lot of fun because the more questions you answer, the more you collect mana. Uh, not money, mana. And you use mana to, to buy special effects that help you answer more efficiently. So the whole gamification aspect is a lot of fun and people have been competing with each other for, for months now and thoroughly enjoying it. So the challenge is to get a better score and to know the questions and the Bible stories in more depth every time you play. And the idea of question-answer and the idea of competition in a quiz, uh, these sorts of things are powerful ways that we learn and we actually enjoy the journey along the way. It's can for some people seem a little dry to sit down with a Bible and study notes and uh, to work through those in in a sort of a you know a way that you know for some people isn't very exciting. But there's a certain sense in which you're being competitive and you're in a quiz mode that uh, there's something that sort of switches on a, a new level of excitement. Is that the way it's worked with all of the excitement that's come around your app? So far, that's exactly what's happening. So we, we had a global championship some time ago, and I got to know many of the players. And some of them didn't know much about the Bible at all before they started playing the game. They knew kind of the stories and 
who was who. They knew that David killed Goliath, but that's as far as it went. And as they started playing and competing and, and, and you know, joining others, the fun element of trying to best your score and get to know the answers faster and more efficiently, uh, it takes over you, which is wonderful because you dive into these stories. The champion of the world was a 14-year-old uh, boy from the Philippines. And we got to meet the whole family and uh, his, his parents played with him in family worship. And, and as they played heroes, they got to know the stories better and better. And he beat his father. He beat every other pastor that played. And the final was against a head of communication for a Christian university in Canada. And Ian got the best score unbeaten and won the prize. So here is the, the, the ultimate example of what a game can do. Um, and I interview Ian personally, and his knowledge of Scripture wasn't just uh, what the characters did. He understood why these uh, Bible heroes acted in the way that they acted, and, and what influence that has in his life is, is wonderful to watch. Sam, what about this idea of challenging our teens and our young people? And I'm not sure what the you know the age start is, but uh, I guess any age that can understand these Bible narrative stories and then begin to respond mm-hmm. to questions. But the idea of challenging our teens, what are your thoughts here for presenting a challenge that gives our teens something to aspire to in understanding God's Word? Well, the, the thing about teens and adolescents is that they are still understanding what they're capable of. And um, Bible courses, um, Bible uh, quizzes uh, used to be done in churches for decades. This is nothing new. And they would organize themselves, and then s- some of them were memory quizzes where you have to recite whole parts of the Bible and so on. And, and that's the point. When you're a teenager, when you're an adolescent, you want to know what your limits are. And the only way to know what your limits are is to try your best to engage in games. So school can be a game. You know, you study, you get your grades, and that's a game. Sports, another version of games. And this uh, Bible app uh, is accessible as a free app that you can download on any app store that will challenge you to know what your limits are in terms of understanding these stories and, and scoring it. So it's a, it's a motivation to play. But it's better to play with others. So as you play the app, once you get a good score that you're proud of, you just share that link with anybody from your church and, or from your neighborhood or your family. And as soon as they click the link, if they don't have it installed, they will automatically install it, and they will get to play the same 12 questions that you just played. So you can challenge your pastor and say, hey, you're always teaching the Bible. Let's see how well you know it in this way. And people have been doing that, and it's a lot of fun to get a challenge and to play your own game and challenge others. So that's a part of the game that is, that is quite popular. And Sam, just to say here, the app is free and there are no ads on it, and that's an intentional thing from Correct. your side. Yes. You haven't wanted to... And it's not cheap to create a game either. So offering it for free with no ads, was a, was a, there was a high price to pay for that. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. 
Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 and you can respond to today's Facebook question, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. The 2020 question today is, do you think online Bible games are a new frontier in learning Bible truth? Uh, You can have your own thoughts there. You might like to interact with other listeners as they put some comments on that question today. Sam Neves is our guest. He's the creative behind the Heroes 2 Bible Trivia Project, and he believes that gaming is the next evangelical frontier to conquer. Sam, we mentioned that your uh, app, your game, takes people through the narrative of the Bible. So from Genesis through Revelation, I wonder, give us a a little idea about uh, the flow of the heroes that you've chosen uh, to reflect all of these truths of Scripture. Sure. We, we, we followed many of them. Unfortunately, we could only do 12 for this phase of the app. We're working on three more at the moment. But we start with Adam and Eve. That's the first, the first set of heroes. That's what you have when you start the game. And you get to understand how uh, God created the world and, and how we messed it up. So Adam and Eve are the first heroes. And then you have Noah, the captain. So Noah comes afterwards, um, and, it, and the questions there are about his life and how, how the flood came and what it meant. Um, following that, the next hero is Joseph, who represents the whole call of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph, who ends in Egypt and brings you that, um, that story of forgiveness that is so powerful. Uh, he is the dreamer, Joseph the dreamer. And after that is Moses. So Moses is an incredibly important hero in the Bible as he brings uh, the first, he writes the first five books. So Moses is there as a hero. Um, After that, you have Samson, uh, who represents the judges. You have Ruth, uh, who is uh, an amazing story of a Moabite who joins the people of God uh, and accepts to become, um, to, to join this line of people to, that believe that a Messiah is coming. And indeed, she becomes one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of, of Jesus himself. So Ruth, the wise widow, is there as well. Uh, we also have David, the giant slayer. And after that, Daniel. So David represents the kings, and then Daniel, the wise seer, represents that latter part of the Old Testament, which is the, the, after, the exile and after exile. Then you come to the New Testament, and you have uh, Jesus, of course, the Lion of Judah, Mary Magdalene, that we call Tomb Raider. Uh, there is a game called Tomb Raider. It's a, it started as a game. There's also a film. And so because Mary Magdalene went to the tomb uh, to look for Jesus, we use that, uh, that name there called Tomb Raider. For gamers, it would mean something. Um, then finally, we have John, not John the Baptist, but John the Son of Thunder, the writer of the book of Revelation. So those are the choices we made for the first set of heroes from Adam and Eve, the forerunners, all the way to John, the son of thunder in the New Testament. And as you say, you're working on more heroes. I imagine they just uh, slot into the flow of the narrative as uh, those new uh, elements come to light. Uh, We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Steve is in Parks in New South Wales. Hi, Steve. Welcome along. Yeah, g'day, uh, Brother Neil and Brother Sam. Uh, The fascinating question you've asked, 
look, I, I just want to uh, ask you, is there any... I know there's some very clever people associated with the Christian church, with strong Christian belief, but one thing that's really helped me to stand up for, for, for what I believe in, and certainly the teachings of Christ and the Holy Bible, but I was wondering if your development team could come up with something centred around uh, what Dr Chuck Misler, the uh, American evangelist, he came to Australia, uh, called the um, Armour for the Age of, of, of Deceit. He did an audio CD on it, but is there any chance in the wind that there could be a uh, game centred around that uh, combined with the Ten Commandments to help people stand for what they believe in, in, the, in the faith and the Holy Scriptures? Steve, I think you're asking for a whole new game and uh, that might take us a little bit off track from this one. (laughs) Except to say, Sam, you've got, along with the game, uh, a bunch of studies that your gamers can then pursue which answer and get into some deeper questions because it's one thing to go along with a biblical narrative. It's another thing to bring explanation. What are your thoughts for uh, for the other thing, the other dimension here that we haven't really started talking about yet, but perhaps is al- aligned a little bit with Steve's question? Sure. Well, Brother Steve, uh, thank you for the question. We are actually looking for the next game. Heroes, this project is funded for about two or three years. And we're looking for the next project, the next game. So ideas about that are very welcome. You can go to heroesbibletrivia.org and just send us a message from there. Uh, I'm not familiar with the the resource you mentioned, uh, but it would be great to have uh, that as an idea for the game. Our team is already thinking about that. Um, Now, in terms of deeper questions, that is true. One thing is knowing what happened, and that's important. The other thing is knowing why it happened. So, you know, uh, we can take the, the, some of the great events of the Bible, you know, the, uh, the Exodus. Uh, one thing is to know that it happened. The other thing is to know why it happened. So some of those questions, we, are, we have looked at Google questions. Because the, the truth, Neil, is that most people do not go to a church and ask a pastor uh, anymore. Um, they go to, to Google, and they go to YouTube. That's where they get their answers from. So people still have a lot of spiritual questions that they're asking, but they're going to Google and YouTube. And we looked at the top 20 questions, now the top 40 questions that people have asked Google in terms of the Bible and spirituality. Um, so questions like, is Jesus God? Um, what can I do to be saved? That's actually a question that people are asking. Uh, another question, what happens when I die? So those questions that people are asking, we created a beautiful Bible study uh, that goes through the narrative of Scripture presenting the heroes talking in first person. So, for example, what happens when I die? So the subject is death. Then Adam and Eve are first. They, they say, you know, Jesus, God said that when we ate from the tree, we would die, but we had no idea what that meant. And then Noah comes in and says, well, let's talk about death. No one has seen more death than me. And he talks about the flood. So the heroes present to you um, the, the meaning of the facts that are discussed in the questions. And if you have Bible questions, especially if you are uh, for young people, it's a fantastic, interactive, beautifully designed way of exploring Bible truth. And you can access it on, um, from the, the website heroesbibletrivia.org. 
or from uh, the, the, the platform that brings heroes to life, which is Hope Channel. It's a TV channel uh, globally, and that's on hope.study. You will find these Bible studies and others. So that's a, a, an interesting dimension of the project. Beyond the game, if people have deeper questions, there are resources for that. Steve in Parks, New South Wales, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. You might want to join into our conversation or respond to today's Facebook question. Our 2020 question says, Do you think online Bible games are a new frontier in learning Bible truth? And the interesting thing is, and just in the lead up to the news here, you've already got multiple languages for your Bible trivia app, Sam. Uh, English, the one we're perhaps going to be most familiar with, but Spanish, French, and Portuguese. Any others to add to that? Yes, we have 12 languages being done now. Romanian, Korean, Japanese. Yeah, because different people around the world, they're like, okay, we love this, but we need it in our language. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to us. So we have uh, many volunteers from around the world that are helping to translate this into 12 new languages. And by the end of the year, we should have them all Uh, published in the app and bible games are a new frontier in learning bible truth sam you have got uh this uh, top 10 trivia games in 50 nations Uh, you've sort of been taking the world by storm here that's a pretty uh great result isn't it for the way your app has gone sort of viral around the world Uh, top 10 trivia games in 50 nations Uh, how does that feel well, it feels very good. After so much work and two and a half years of, of intense activities, um, the result has been uh, overwhelming, especially because there are so many uh, of these games out there and the competition is fierce. Uh, but the fact that it's free and there are no ads uh, helps very much the uh, people to share with their friends and others. I imagine the fact that it's free is popular with not only a young generation who haven't got maybe as much uh, cash to flash, uh, but also parents who are thinking, here's a resource that we can get for our kids for free. So uh, the fact that it is free makes a huge difference, no doubt. Sure, it's easier for children to buy it, um, for even teens uh, and young people. I mean, you can't beat free. We have an expression in, in Brazil where I was born, that if it's free, even the wrong bus is a good deal. You know, it's, yeah. it, there, there is no cost. You can try it out. You can play it. It's a, uh, if you don't like it, um, then there is no, uh, you, you haven't lost anything. So that, that makes it easier. We want as few barriers as possible for people to play it. This means making the game more efficient, Neil, because it's, it's very difficult to create a game that is cutting edge and beautiful and at the same time can be used by older devices. And our objective now is to get the game to work on Android 7. There are millions of people that are still on Android 7 in Asia, in in Africa, in South America especially, and we're trying to make the game more accessible to them. Well, that means that a large group of developers are working at every line of code and every design, every part of it to make it more efficient, to make it lighter, to make it easier, and, and to be able to work and reach people that have older devices. So th- it's a constant process of, of working uh, through, this, through these technical complexities. Making a game is not an easy thing. 
Um, as I mentioned, it took over two years to, to do this version of it. And we're constantly working on improvements uh, to it. And Sam, you say that this online gaming is a new frontier and uh, there's an interesting history, isn't there, that we might be able to draw attention to of how Christians uh, through the ages have appropriated new technologies as they've come along and they've taken advantage of opportunities here for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God. Uh, Give us some insight here into your ideas around what a new frontier is. Sure. Well, the New Testament, God, uh, Jesus sent the disciples to every nation. And you think they were a bunch of nobodies. Um, and, and they did it. How did they do it? Well, they used two technologies in the first century that were of paramount importance. The first one was codices, uh, the, the codex, the, the idea of writing on leather uh, to send letters to different, uh, to different places, was extremely important in the in the for the early Christian church, uh, you have letters. The letters that we have now that Paul sent, that Peter sent, John sent. Those are a collection of letters, but there were many more that were sent uh, that did not become part of the Bible. So they used that technology to spread the gospel, and it worked. The other technology they used was was roads, Roman roads, and the Roman Empire became this huge force because they invented roads that could easily be traveled by vast armies. Uh, and you can imagine the problem of empires in the past. You, you open a front toward one end of the world, and that means all your army is there, and you've opened yourself up vulnerable to the other part of the world. And it would take months for your army to cross to the other side. And the Romans figured out, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create roads so that in a few days or weeks, our army can go from one end of the next without any problem. And it worked. It worked wonders. And early Christians thought, you know what? The empire is using this for, for maintaining their power. I tell you what, we're going to use it for preaching the gospel. And they used it. They went everywhere with Roman roads um, and with, with even the shipping, um, the shipping distribution uh, routes they also used. And then... That progressed. Um, the technology progressed. Later on, you would have um, the invention of the printing press. And guess what the first book was that was printed? It was the, the Bible. Bible. Mm. And Exactly. So the Bible was used in that new technology. In the 1700s, um, that printing technology developed to the point that you could have um, uh, periodicals printed. These were magazines. These were newspapers that could easily be printed um, on, on short runs, and they were cheap to produce. Christian churches used it all over the world, the production of these pamphlets that would preach truth. Something happened, Neil, with the radio, and we are in a radio station now, that was very interesting. When the radio came out, it was so scary to Christians that many Christians decided that, that it was not a force for good. And they kind of said, look, radio is from the devil. Don't buy it. Don't use it. And this is a common reaction among Christians. Some Christians. They, they are rightfully scared of how the enemy can use new technology. Uh, but then they basically ignore the technology, and so only the dark forces use it. Um, and that's what happened with radio. Eventually, uh, Christians decided that radio was an incredible 
powerful force for telling this beautiful story uh, that God has not given up on the world and he's going to restore it. And there is hope for all of us. Um, they use the radio. When television came out, guess what happened? The same thing. Christians said, this cannot be good. Uh, we, we've been, we see how this can be used by the enemy, and we're not going to have anything to do with it. Well, soon enough, young people look at television and say, I tell you what, we're not happy for only uh, the dark side to use it. We're going to use it for good. And they begin to use television now uh, all over the world to proclaim the same message. And so when digital technologies came, same thing happened. Social media, same thing happened. And now gaming. So people look at the real dangers of gaming, and they're not trivial. And many Christians say we should not touch it. Leave it alone. We, we won't do anything with it. But 3.4 billion people play games. We cannot ignore that. And so wherever people are paying attention to, you will find some Christians that are crazy enough to put together resources and to venture into this new frontier. And I believe this now is gaming. It's time for us to create beautiful, interactive, great games. Um, but you wouldn't believe what our main problem is, Neil. What's that? Finding professionals okay. that are game developers, experienced Christian game developers. We cannot find them. It is very rare to find them. So the game developers of the world, they want nothing to do with Christianity. And Christians have been so scared of gaming, perhaps, that they haven't become game developers. And so when we need to hire new game developers, it's very difficult. Two members of our team are not Christians, but they're making the, the, this wonderful Christian game. Um, so I think that with this new emphasis, Neil, we're going to have uh, parents that encourage their children to instead of playing games all day, learn to make games uh, that would proclaim this message to the world. And we need new digital missionaries that are going to make games. And I'm excited to see that I believe the future uh, will have that. Sam, is there disconnect here in what's coming from the platform that our leaders in church have? And as you say, you know, going through all of those different technology, technologies and changes, uh, how there's been a sort of a fearfulness about the new technology that's coming and uh, take care because there's a dark side that is a part of that industry. Is this disconnect now that somehow or other uh, our church leadership is, and they may not be verbalizing it, they may not even be thinking it, but in some ways communicating a discouragement to young people to pursue uh, the idea of becoming skilled game developers with the thought that they might use their skills and their gifts that God has given to them to reach the world through this new platform. Is there a disconnect? Absolutely. There always is. And I've learned this lesson the hard way. I was a local church pastor in London uh, when this project first started seven years ago. And we, we really wanted to create this game. So I came to, to my denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I talked to my leaders and I said, look, this is a new frontier. We need to do this. And they just looked at me, smiled and said, that's a wonderful idea, Sam. Uh, but we don't invest in games. That's not what we do. Uh, we, we just don't do games. And so finding the funding for the first game was extremely difficult. And in this frustration, obviously, my prayers, as you can imagine, were, 
Lord, I really believe you're calling us into this new frontier, this new mission uh, that could really reach millions and billions, perhaps, of people. Um, but why is it that you put people in charge who have no idea about these new possibilities and opportunities? And the way God answered that prayer was, was really interesting. I had a friend that is an expert in branding uh, for Nike and, and, uh, and, and other large brands like Sony and so on. And he, he told me, look, I work with people that pay me a lot of money and it takes years. I've been working with a company for three years now. And in those three years, I've been trying to help their leadership understand that their brand is not their logo massive multinational corporation and they still don't get it. And then he said this, forget it when they get it and not a moment sooner. Neil, my life changed with that sentence because from that point onwards, it was my responsibility to help my leaders get it because people get it when they get it and not a moment sooner. So I spent years trying to help the leaders, the global leaders of my own uh, denomination to understand the importance of gaming and they got it. It, it, it wasn't even difficult because when they understood that this is a tool that will help to reach people that don't know Jesus yet to understand who he is and, and, and to accept him um, and his love for them, well, that was, that was easy. Then resources started coming and the possibilities opened up because they got it. So young people, as I was you know, young at the time in my early 20s as a pastor, what we needed to understand is, it's our responsibility to help our leaders get it. What is it that it will take for them to get it? And, and then we, we take them to events. We show them the possibilities. We demonstrate results. We show how important this is. And, and when they get it, then we'll have possibilities for, for investing in this new frontier. Is there a sense in which leaders are reluctant uh, to put trust in, and certainly here, it's a, it's a young person's industry, isn't it? Because that cutting-edge technology, but there's a certain reluctance yeah. uh, to want to support those who may not yet appear to be very mature in their faith. So uh, ought there be some connection here in our Bible colleges, uh, all different denominations, about thinking about how this could be a, a career path for people who are going into some areas where they are getting mature in their understanding of their faith and then applying that maturity into these areas where it could be a whole new avenue of ministry that churches on all these different uh, denominations could be opening up. Every study shows that the healthy churches are multi-generational churches. It is churches where the, the elderly, the, the grown-ups, and the teens, and the kids, and the youth, and all of them are intermixed. They participate in meetings together. They share life together. And in those environments, be it in the seminary, or be it in a local church, or even you know different Christian organizations, it is the... This, this interconnectivity between those that have experience and those that are just starting out, that you have faith that is maturing faster and you have uh, barriers that are being challenged. And this is certainly one of them. So what I'm trying to say is, is simple. If you refuse to change, um, resisting change is like holding your breath. If you succeed, you will die. It's not complicated. We need to venture into new territory. 
And, you know, you're in Australia. Australians are fantastic, in my experience, at challenging new boundaries. Um, but new boundaries, there are risks associated with it. And gaming certainly has a lot of risks. There is a huge dark side to gaming. It has destroyed the lives of many people. And we must be cautious. And we must be careful. So in Making Heroes, we purposely created a game that your, your gameplay would not be longer than 7 to 10 minutes. So after 7 to 10 minutes, it's no longer exciting for you to play in one single go. You put the phone in your pocket and you come back half an hour later, you pay another seven minutes or, or so in those moments of micro boredom. So that was an intentional activity. We, we reduced the level of dopamine after seven minutes that the game produces in your body. So there are multiple studies that show how you can design games that are healthier and how the industry is designing games that are more and more addictive in a way that teenagers are playing for 20 hours straight, 30 hours straight, uh, and it's destroying their lives. So there is a danger to, the, to, to gaming. Absolutely. We cannot deny that. It's clear. But it's something that we cannot ignore, and we need to do this right. I think you might win a few fans when you start to talk about taking into consideration the amount of screen time that players of the game will spend uh, with the intentional idea of not letting people get caught up in the addictive nature of the screen time and yet to be able to sample and enjoy uh, that part of the screen time experience that's going to actually enhance your faith. Uh, So when we talk about this dark side, uh, you've got the world's gaming industry, uh, which is, and might we uh, venture into saying that most of that will take you into the dark side if you say the dark side is anything that distracts you from uh, the idea, the ultimate uh, pursuit of the kingdom of God. Anything like that is a distraction. So, uh, So when we are in the gaming industry, the dark side is always there. How do you keep the focus on bringing light into darkness here, Sam? There are two kinds of limitations that will be very helpful. The first is what kind of games you play. And the second is how much time you spend playing it. So a game, um, in its essence, is a sequence of problems that the user solves. So even the, the, the war game, so let's say a first-person shooter, which I think is, is one of the, the most dangerous, perhaps, where you, you need to go into the game and you need to shoot as many people as possible and kill them. It's still a problem that you're solving. You are trying to, to aim properly. You're trying to select the right weapon. You are trying to hit a target, etc. And that target will respawn, will come back almost immediately, and so on and so forth. So one question is, what type of game are you playing? The second question is, how long do you spend playing that game? So let's take an easier game to, to appreciate. Let's take SimCity, for example. It's a game that you build a city. That's what you do. You select which part of, the, of, the, of your town, of your city, will be residential area. You select which part will be industrial area. You, you do the roads. You're, you're the mayor of the city, and you're managing that city. That's another type of game. I spent the last few weeks playing SimCity on an iPad. And the, the question there is, how long do you spend playing the game? You're solving a series of problems. You're managing resources. It's fun because a game has to be fun. And, and then do I want to spend more than 10 minutes uh, per day playing this? So that's an important question. 
okay, if I do want to spend more than 10 minutes, uh, is, is an hour enough. So have your limits and follow them. That's really important. But the real danger, Neil, that I see in gaming, especially for teenage boys, has to do with hierarchy. Okay, so teenage boys have this, this actually even children, even I have three boys myself, so I know this intimately. You put them in a playground, they will invent a game, and they will try to be the most competent at whatever game they invented. Right, so you see this phenomena all the time. And if they're not competent in a particular game, they invent another game where they are competent because they are driven to be on, on this uh, competence hierarchy, to be one of the best at something. So you see some, some teens are very good at sports, and then they focus on sports. But even within sports, are you better at basketball than you are at football? Or are you better at, um, at uh, uh, gymnastics and such? So we create all, this, all these hierarchies. And there are some teens, boys especially, who don't seem to find their own, their own hierarchy to be good at. And then they go to games. And in the game, they become amazing. And that's where the danger lies. If parents are not careful, that teenage boy, and this is especially for boys, uh, girls seem to have a different, the studies are slightly different with girls, but boys, it's easy for them to focus on the online multiplayer games as the place where they experience community, belonging, and all the good things about the world. And if they spend hours and hours and hours each day inside these worlds, they will have less interactions in the real world. And therefore, later, when they're looking for a partner, they won't know what they're doing. They won't interact properly. The possibility of, rejecting, of rejection for them will be higher. And boys that have been constantly rejected by girls, not healthy for the boy. So this is a constant fear that you have. Now, so there is something in the games industry that kind of breaks that cycle, and that is eSports, where you have uh, players that are now you know, Mario Kart. I have one of members of my team that is a champion at Mario Kart. He competes professionally um, every week with his team on Mario Kart. Uh, and that is, it creates community and so on, so it's better. Uh, but it's still quite dangerous from that perspective. So those are some of the things, some of my meditations on, on the dangers of gaming, the kind of thing that I'm watching for my boys um, as they grow older and explore um, you know, good games for not a long period of time. Sounds like good wisdom. And for parents who are thinking about games and their children, I didn't get from you earlier the ideal age group for your uh, top 10 trivia game, uh, Heroes 2. You were saying just a young boy actually was be beating uh, the heads of Bible colleges because they were able to immerse themselves <laughs> in the narrative. And so... We're talking here about uh, a timeless, ageless uh, type of a focus here. Anyone who can get a hold of the narrative can understand and to grow in their ability to be able to answer Bible trivia. Is that, you know, if we talk ages just quickly, because we, we're, we're run out of time, but uh, sure. what, what's the, the ideal age for people getting into this game? Anyone that can read is able to play. 
the people that are playing the game most intensely are boys, 17 to 24-year-olds. Boys. Okay. Men. Okay. In that case. All right. It gives so us those a are great the people context. That are playing the game more intensely. That's, the, that's what we have. But, of course, teens are playing it. Um, grandparents are playing it a lot because they don't have much to do. They're retired, so they just keep answering questions all day, and they find that exhilarating. Uh, but the, the people that are playing most intensely, according to the data, is uh, men 17 to 24-year-olds. Well, and that would be an age group that so many would say are vulnerable to falling away from their faith. So anything here that offers a level Correct. of hope uh, that captivates the imagination of those boys, 17 through to 24 young men. Hey, Sam, we have run out of time, but let me give to listeners uh, the website, uh, heroesbibletrivia.org. Uh, but simply go to your uh, game store, uh, the uh, you know your uh, Play Store, wherever you download apps, and you'll be able to find Heroes Two, uh, free to download, uh, and it's it's going to be free ongoing, isn't it, Sam? Is that the uh, is that the plan? I mean, no ads, it's free. You can download it, and uh, you can start using this virtually straight away. That's right, free, no no ads. We may, in the future, we may charge for competitions. So if we have a global tournament with a prize, uh, we may charge for a small fee so that we can sponsor the prize, which we're hoping the first one will be a trip to Jerusalem uh, wow. for the final. So that's, you know, that, that's something we've been thinking of and we think is going to be quite exciting. Okay, so it's useful in your family, in your youth group, in your church. And as you say, uh, the multiplayer online opportunity to participate even in global tournaments, global championships. So uh, just uh, look for Heroes 2. It's the uh, Bible Trivia app. You'll find it in your app store and the heroesbibletrivia.org website. Sam Neves is the creative behind the Heroes 2 project. Sam, thanks so much for taking some time to share your insights with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Anytime. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.